everybody. You are listening to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast, where we will be tackling real financial issues so women can eliminate fear and take charge of their lives. I am your host, Kimberly Davis, and I am the Fiscal Feminist. So let's get to it. And then the other thing when you're starting out in your career is being very relationship minded. So networking is truly how the world goes round. Um, 85% of jobs are found via networking. So prioritizing, being relationship minded, building your network. And, and I'm not talking, when I say networking, I don't mean people necessarily above you. I mean, truly like peer networking, yeah. networking within your own company. Those are other things I would really prioritize as you are, because those are also going to help you in those tough moments as well. Yeah. I mean, the more people you meet, it's like a throwing spaghetti at the wall, you know, yeah. you never know when one of those things is going to open a door that you can't even begin to imagine even existed until you happen to network with that human being. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast today. We are going to be delving into some very interesting questions regarding your career. I don't know about you, but I've often wondered back in the day when I was trying to change my career, you know, where can I find some accessible career advice that's actionable? I can get to it easily. I don't have to pay a fortune for it. And where can I seek some career advice and resources? Because as women, as you know, because we talk about this every single time we have a podcast, we as women have obstacles that are unique to us. We have still have the gender pay parity problem, i.e. wage gap. We have career breaks. We have invisible labor issues. You know, we have a lack of mentorship, lack of C-suite women. Uh, there aren't as many women on board. So there's a lot of uneven playing field here. And so any help we can get is most welcome, especially if it's really expert help. And today's guest is precisely the woman to give you this advice. And she's already given it to many, many, many people who follow her. And so I would like to welcome Lauren McGoodwin today. She's here to talk to us about all of this stuff. She is the CEO of the Career Contessa. I love that name. I love the word Contessa. So <laughs> I like to think Thank of you. myself as a Contessa. So Lauren, welcome. Thank you for taking the time today to share your expertise with us. Thank you so much for having me. So the Career Contessa is an online career resource with content, coaching, jobs, a salary database, and online training. So I have had people on that talk about salary transparency, not a lot of it. You know, there's some states that are requiring it, but not nationally. You know, where do we get coaching? Where can we just, you know, find stuff out about training? So, and it's all in these piecemeal things. So you can get all of that in this one-stop shopping, which is the website for Career Contessa. CareerContessa.com? CareerContessa.com. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they share daily content on the website, right? Um, yep. And then they also, then you, you guys also have uh, a newsletter. And I was like kind of scrolling through your website. And um, one person wrote uh, in their comments that your newsletter helped them get rid of the uh, Sunday scaries. So uh, <laughs> I was like, oh which is God, ironic because we always send the email on Sunday. And sometimes people are like, do I have to think about work on a Sunday? And I'm like, well, it just happened to be the best email day. I don't make up the data. I just follow the data. <laughs> right. And you know what? Like, I think a lot of people do have the Sunday scary. So, you know, as I always say, knowledge is power. 
And when you have knowledge and a game plan, you tend to be less fearful or have the Sunday scaries because you've got your game plan and you're like, okay, I'm ready for Monday. Bring it on. You have over 350,000 followers. Um, you had uh, millions of web visitors. You've been in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, CNBC. The list goes on and on. You've also written a book. So you can have a handy guidebook called Power Moves. And you can, I'm assuming, get that on Amazon or through your website, all of those locations. Yep, both places. Anywhere you can find a bookstore that will offer books, you can find Power Moves there. <laughs> Terrific. And it's gonna it's a guide to how to pivot, reboot, build your career, all those career issues that we're all, you know, kind of sitting in our office thinking about every day and wondering how the heck we're gonna do it. So before the career contessa, I know you were doing something else. So how did you get to this point where you woke up one day and said, I think I'll become the career contessa? <laughs> um, I wish it was that simple, but I, I actually <laughs> right. graduated college in 2009, which is, if you all remember, not a great year to be job searching. I mean, even if you were an experienced professional, not a great year, but yeah. especially if you had um, no actual real work experience. So graduated in 2009, couldn't find a job. Um, I joke I had been the career center's poster child, did, you know, checked all the boxes, all the things. Left, uh, I went to school at University of Oregon, uh, left Oregon, moved to Los Angeles because I thought I just needed a bigger job market. That was the problem. Still couldn't find a job. Finally found something as an admin assistant working in higher education. So I was working at this university and I was so bored. I was just like, you know, the moments of like, I feel like I'm getting dumber every time I show up to work. That was my feeling. I got asked. And, and what be, was your major at University of Oregon? I was an education major with a business minor. So I had decided junior year of college that I didn't want to be a teacher. Um, I decided like the third and fourth graders weren't for me. And so I, I was like trying to pivot badly into like marketing or business or something like that. And you know, I wasn't very successful with it. And so getting the job as an admin assistant in higher education was truly just a, like, I, I have to pay my bills. Like I have to be able to pay for rent. I think I got that job in, I want to say April and I had graduated in June. So it was almost a whole year since I had graduated and it was just sort of like the clock was ticking. So I took that job, did not like it, kind of knew when I went in there, I wasn't going to like it, but again, rent doesn't pay itself. And while I was there, I became even more obsessed with what is it that I want to do in my life? I don't want this to be the rest of my life. I don't want to hate going to work. Like, is this how it is for people? And again, like kind of that millennial generation of growing up of like watching all these TV shows of all these women having these like thriving careers and they love them and very a la sex in the city, right? Like none of that was my reality. And, um, and not many other people's reality, I might add. So just yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there was definitely a, a miscalculation on expectations in general that I, I needed to learn that lesson, but I did become obsessed with careers. I randomly got, um, someone was out sick that day. And so they sent me to do recruitment the way universities do recruitment. If, if I was working for a four-year university is they will recruit people from, uh, city colleges to your universities to, recruit them to transfer over to a four-year university. So it's not recruitment in the way in corporate world we think of recruitment, but it is 
recruitment. And I, I actually really loved that job and um, kind of getting to do that assignment that day. And that was what kind of tipped me off into the world of recruiting. And hey, this is maybe a career, you know, choice that I should be pursuing. And I'll make the the long story short, over two years, I became obsessed with everything, everything I could learn about recruiting. I had I reached out to over 70 people on, uh, on LinkedIn for informational interviews about recruiting. So finding recruiters, cold outreach, about 30 of them got back to me. So I always like to let people know that's a less than 50% success rate. So you got to reach out to a few people. But those informational interviews, plus I was um, getting my master's in communication management at the time. If you work at the university, you can get your master's for free. You just have to take it one class per semester. So I was doing all this like prep work to basically prepare me for my next career move. And from those informational interviews, lots of networking, lots of you know, just desperately trying to get someone to take a chance on me, I ended up getting a job offer working as a recruiter at Hulu. At the time, Hulu now we know is is a big company, but, you know, 10 years ago, it was definitely considered a startup. And it was actually a perfect environment for me because I got to wear a lot of hats. I got to be involved in a lot of things. And I got an introduction to not just talent acquisitions, but talent development, um, being on the people team. We called it Tau at uh, Hulu, which was talent um, acquisitions and organization. So like being involved in all that employer branding. So while I was at this point, I was on the other side of the hiring table working at Hulu I think I had one semester left at at the university and I was basically writing my master's thesis and I got to pick whatever topic I wanted. And now that I was on the other side of the hiring table, I was like, wait, everything I learned about finding a job at my career center and like the stuff that's written online was not anywhere close to my reality. And that's interesting to me. And I, again, I had this just huge interest in careers. And so I decided I was going to write my master's thesis on millennial women and career resources, because it was just very interesting to me to sort of be like, okay, everything I learned about finding a job and being successful in a job is not actually real and, and not doesn't actually apply. My hypothesis was that what women needed was basically a, a website or a resource that was really devoted to them. This was pre lean in pre the girl boss era, me too. Not like people were really not talking about how work was different for women at that time. Um, and so that was my goal. And it started truly as a, a you know, a project that I had to create for my master's thesis to use in focus groups. Uh, once I graduated, I kept it around as a side hustle. And then about a year and a half, two years later, I left Hulu to work on it full time. Having the foundation of basically doing all this research around it actually really helped me because I felt like I was bringing real world experience having been a recruiter and obviously myself being the target audience, but then also backing it up with actual research from for my master's thesis to be able to say like, yes, this needs to exist and here's what it needs to have on it. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. 
it's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today. When you were at Hulu, did you see things that were different for women in their career development there, like that they needed to do differently or they were facing that were obstacles? Or was that kind of like an on-the-job training for this, what you were doing, because you were kind of in a real situation there? Yeah, a little bit. In hindsight, I, I think in the moment, I didn't really realize this, but I realize now looking back, you know, um, pay transparency was absolutely not a thing. There were definitely male recruiters who were being paid more than female recruiters for the exact same job. And it probably had to do with one negotiated and one didn't. Um, right. I had my own uh, salary issue at Hulu where I had to basically be like, wait, I did the math and you're offering me less than what I'm making with overtime. You know, like there there wasn't just like this this conversation about salary. It was, it was much more quiet. We didn't have any parental leave when I was there. So I remember the first time someone got pregnant, it was like, oh, we have to figure this out. There weren't any female leaders on the C-suite. Um, it was all men. So again, these are things I kind of look back now and I realize like, oh yeah, that was sort of interesting. Oh, what about that time? Um, I can remember like asking for feedback from a male boss and like not being given specific feedback, but then also like a male coworker absolutely being given very specific feedback because we were in the same meeting that we were having with them. So I recognize more of this stuff now because I'm knowledgeable about what to look for or you know, what it is that might have been different um, and what the biases and even unconscious biases toward women are. But at the time, I didn't know that. And at the time, I just sort of felt like, well, where are the women to look up to? Like, who who do I use as my role model for the type of career I want to build? Now, I'm lucky that talent acquisition is a very female heavy. Um, there's a lot of women who work in talent acquisition on the Tao team. But even that always felt sort of interesting how it was like we were the head of our team was a man who had never right. been a recruiter before, but like, he, you know, he's running the team. So that was always, I know, interesting to me in, in hindsight, looking back. But I, when you think about people and their experiences in tech, I will say I'm one of the really, really lucky people because overall my experience at Hulu was very positive. But when you are a recruiter in tech, you talk to a lot of other recruiters in tech. We're all going to the same career fairs. We're all talking to each other. And I can tell you that was not the same experience for other people who were my peers. So I, I had more experience with this for my peer group than I did maybe for myself personally at Hulu. Yeah, I mean, the tech business is a very bro-oriented kind of place. Yes. So, yes. it's not, you know, it's not for the faint of heart with women, I no. think, because they, I mean, it's so, it's so crazy because it's usually younger people in the tech world, yet they have these crazy anachronistic kind of ways of going about it. It's like all dudes. And I don't know whether it's because of the substance of it and women aren't that into kind of the, the substance of it as much as men, but still... It's a little bit disturbing that younger men who are creating this business have this very old-fashioned kind of bro view of things. And, you know, I'm not sure those are any better, if not even close to being as good as workplaces in the traditional sense. So <laughs> we, I, I'm really intrigued by your, your website because I was looking at all kinds of things that you have. You have so many resources. So if, for example, you know, you're a woman and you don't have a mentor – you know, because you can also have male mentors. And I've talked about that before. You know, if there are people in your office who you like and trust, you should reach out to them and ask them to mentor you if they know that space. But if you don't have one, I think I was looking at your website and I thought this is like 
kind of a mentor in a website, you know, because you have so much good advice for people. It's kind of a good place for them to find mentorship through your advice. You know, I was watching one of your short YouTube videos that said 47% of hiring managers reject candidates who can't answer, why do you want to work here? And then you gave advice as to to kind of answer that question. And so these are like real tactical, tangible tools that women can use. But before we get into the nuts and bolts, I'm just, I know like there are some key challenges that women face in the workforce. So what are they when it comes to them being successful, fulfilled, and achieving success? Because a lot of us have especially, you know, women who are younger, we have caregiving responsibilities. And even for people who are older now, like me, they often are now caregiving for their parents. So, you know, most caregiving is done by women, even for the elderly. So tell us a little bit about what some of these key challenges are, (laughs) because so that we know what they are, and we're looking for them. I mean, we have so many gaps. Uh, Obviously, there's the big ones we know about the, you know, being a parent, just being a parent, you know, there's more unconscious bias or sometimes direct bias towards you. No, there's definitely, and there's a motherhood penalty in pay. It's a a documented thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the the parenting or caregiving gap is one. Um, The pay gap is another one. Um, The leadership gap is one. Um, The feedback gap, we're less likely to get, you know, direct feedback versus, you know, men are more likely to get you know, here's the detailed feedback. Um, There's a networking gap. There's a mentorship gap or a sponsorship gap. I had this woman on my podcast who said women are more likely to be tapped to be doing non-promotable tasks at work. So sometimes we run into the gap of like, we are truly through society and culture. We've been told like, if you brag about yourself or self-advocate, we see that as a negative, whereas a man does it, we see it as assertive and he must know his stuff and let's promote him. There's the, oh, let's, you know, someone needs to take notes in the meeting, let's ask Lauren to do it, even though that's a, a task that is not going to help you get promoted. So you're spending more of your time and energy on that. We have, um, there was a, a one of the gaps I feel like that happened a lot during COVID is a lot of women fall into middle management, but they don't really get out of middle management and mm-hmm. middle managers during COVID were just it's getting like just nailed. Wrong. The, yeah, it's a broken wrong. And part of it was you were supposed to be empathetic and help your, you know, help your employees through this tough time, but you're also supposed to be directing performance. And so I think that was an incredibly hard time where people started to expect be expect a different thing out of female leaders than they did male leaders, which was, um, you know, you're my life coach, you're my therapist, like, why, why can't, you know, there was a, uh, there's a phrase called a momager, which is like my manager, who's like my mom, who helps me like manage my life and my career. Um, right. People don't have that expectation on men. So these are just some of the gaps that we have. I mean, there some of them are like, again, the pay gap is more well known, the leadership gap is more well known. But I mean, we have gaps basically all over the place, which is why, going to work every day can feel like a, a, a landfill. Like you're like, where, what, like, wh- I don't know where I'm going to step into it and I'm going to fall into that gap. There's a likability trap. There's the ambition trap. There's like, there are yeah. all these traps on, t- on top of it, you know? So it is hard to be a woman in the workplace. Like, no doubt. I try to tell people, I'm like, look, there are some things that are absolutely, you can't control, like you can only control yourself and and what you can control. Some of these things are way bigger. So the caregiving gap, that is way bigger. And on a, on a federal level, like we need to have policies in place. And that is not something that you know. And not have the childcare cliff that we just had. That's not helpful to women who need to be in the workplace. And it's not helpful to the economy in general, but yeah, that's a whole, I mean, you're right. I mean, so 
so we, I talk about these things a lot, right? That, you know, we have, I, you know, we have these different expectations of women's personalities and behavior because of our historical narrative of how we expect women to be because we were not even property owners until, you know, the, even like the late 19th century. So we have these things, like if you're a woman, you should be mom-like, you should be a nurturer, you shouldn't be too brash about your accomplishments and all these things. You're supposed to be like the perfect, you know, young woman or little girl. And that's just complete BS and it is not advantageous to us. But one of the things I think what Lauren is saying, and she's going to elaborate on this, but you can control yourself. So you can't control what all these other people might kind of still be thinking because they're just not with it and they're, you know, stuck in their patriarchal ways, but you can control yourself. And I think that's what people need advice on. How do I come off? Like if I want to, you know, negotiate or try to better myself at work, how do I do that without people saying, oh, you know, she's, uh, you know, she's really pushy or she's really bitchy or she's really whatever word they're going to use. How do we get around that? Well, I can speak for me personally. I think everything in my life changed when I realized those big moments, aka standing up for yourself at work, you know, negotiating your pay. Those big moments are built on all the small moments. My whole book, Power Moves, is is based on the philosophy of this like approach to your career, which is taking a proactive approach to making small steps and planting the small things and doing the small things that add up to the big moments so that you can advocate in the middle of a meeting for a big project. You can negotiate for a fair compensation and you can whatever it is that you feel like is not going the way you need it to go. And so I think oftentimes for a lot of people, not just women, but for a lot of women, their careers, they take more of a, instead of being proactive, a much more reactive approach to their career. So they react to, okay, this job is recruiting me. I'll, I'll move jobs. Oh, you want me to get promoted? Okay. I'll think about that. Um, you need me to take on this part. So you're just kind of reacting, going wherever, you know, the shiny ball is bouncing around. Whereas I'm a big fan. And one of the things I try to help people do is think about like, what is it that you want in your career? How can, you know, a, a fulfilling career, a successful career means something different and looks different to everybody. How can we help you define that and then help you proactively go out and manage that and kind of just like steer the direction of the car? Now, I'm a, I'm a big fan and like, look, you might be very focused on what the end goal is, but be very flexible about how you get there because there might be U-turns. You might need to back up in the middle of the road. You might need to pause for a while, but ultimately the goal is to get to that, that, you know, that end spot that you, you decide. So I think that's really important is just sort of like a different approach to your career. And again, the power most approach is all about how can you build in these smaller habits, behaviors, actions, they're much more proactive, they're, they're decisive so that they get you to those bigger moments. And I think that's the part that I have found when I've talked to a lot of people who are successful in their careers, how did they get successful? How did they get to their place? And it was like, you know, I could have just sat back and let it happen, but I decided that this thing was really important or decided I really wanted to go after that. Or I, you know, hadn't done this thing before. So I took a risk, whatever it is. And so that has been sort of, again, a common denominator that I have seen with people who do build fulfilled, fulfilling and successful careers. So it's building these, you know, getting your habits in order and building good habits 
and then yes. eventually you get to the point. So do you think that um, when I'm going to just skip to negotiating for a minute, because do you think when people are negotiating, if they want a pay increase or whatever, that like data driven information is important so they can say, okay, this is what, you know, someone over here in my same job is making and here's what I've contributed and here's what my job description is. And it kind of fits into that. Do you think that's something that women should be doing, like when they're negotiating, is kind of going in there with factual information and then how they can benefit this company if they, in fact, get the promotion? I I have this saying where it's like, your boss loves facts and data, but they love stories more. So facts and data with the storytelling or the context is very important. If you go in there and you're like, I've worked so hard and here's why I deserve a raise. I don't mean to be rude, but no one really cares about your effort. Everybody thinks they're working hard. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so what matters more is that you speak the language that they speak so they can go ask maybe somebody else for the budget to give you the raise, right? So sometimes it's not that you're just asking your boss. You're literally providing the information for your boss to go get the budget to pay for you. So the better you can kind of make the argument, the more they can advocate on your behalf. So I think market data research where you're using online databases as well as talking to real people is very, very important. Online salary databases are great, but you know nothing beats somebody who's currently getting paid that amount at the moment. And I also tell people, I'm like, talk to men, talk to women, talk to people who have been in a role in the last, gotten this role in the last few years, because somebody, especially if it's a large company where they have a compensation team, they're obviously pulling some data. So that data is very important for you to understand what is the market value of, of this role and what I'm doing. The other thing that's really important is the narrative or the context of what do I do? What what value do I bring to this organization? What's the impact that I make? What are the results I bring? They're much more likely to advocate for you if you can be really clear about what your ask is and tell them the value or remind them of the value and the impact that you've made. And oftentimes people aren't reminding their bosses on a regular basis, like, here's the impact I make, here's the value I bring. And they're kind of only doing it at very specific times, when they want to raise, when they want a promotion, at performance review time. So it's usually only when they need something. So the other thing I would recommend if a raise is on your goals in the, in the next 12 months is start talking about this six months in advance. So I like to give the advice, and I heard this from a compensation analyst who was in charge of all compensation at Nike. So he's pretty experienced in this. And he was like, you should be having a career-only conversation at least six to nine months ahead of time. And that conversation doesn't mention money. It mentions about Again, the value and the impact you're bringing, what you want to do, it's the buy-in from them that you are going to stick around and that if they advocate on your behalf to get the budget to give you more money, you are going to continue to bring value to them. So his advice was six to nine months before, then about you know three-ish months before you kind of plant the seed of, you know, I know performance reviews are coming up or in the next few months, I'd like to talk about, you know, XYZ role or at least the compensation equivalent to. So again, you're planting these seeds, you're letting them know, here's the value I bring here's the value I bring. And I'm thinking about my compensation, aka you should start thinking about my compensation too. And then bam, now I'm going to ask for the compensation. It's not a surprise. They've had time to think about it. They've had time in really important meetings to recognize like, oh, you know what, Lauren has kind of mentioned something about compensation. So now that we're talking about where are we going to put these percentages, mm, I definitely want to make sure that she's getting a bigger percentage of a raise than somebody else or something like that. So I love that idea because 
you know, first of all, if you start it six months in advance and you start like a conversation about it, it doesn't seem so manic or urgent if at the end you're yes. just desperate to get this. And also it shows that you're thinking about your career and where you want to go. So that shows buy-in to your employer. Yes. And it starts a conversation that I think most people don't generally have with their employer about like ongoing check-in about their career and where they're at. I think a lot of people don't do that. And that's a really good idea. I've never heard that, but I like that concept of this six month lead time. You're laying the table for what you want down the road. And it's also showing you've got buy into the company. You care enough to want to, to, to want to progress. And you're just not like on autopilot waiting for something to happen to you. I want to ask you, because I think I've often said to people, like, if you want to go join a company, you should be like digging into how they run themselves. And do they have women in the C-suite? Do they, are there people, are they, do they have a good uh, policy for pregnancy? You know, you need to find out if they're walking the walk and talking the talk. What do you consider the essential elements for a supportive and inclusive work environment for women? What should women be looking for? Well, I, I hate to be annoying about this, but I do think it's unique to each person. So I can all, I'll use myself as an example. I have two kids under the age of two. So for me, the, the top of my priority list of a company that's going to be very aligned with my values right now is do they offer flexibility or remote, remote working? That's going to be really important to me. The other thing I care a lot about is yeah, what's your what's your paid family leave, um, sick leave, you know, vacation policy? Kids are always sick. So something like that where I've got some flexibility, that's going to be important to me. The thing that would also be important to me is who am I going to work with? Am I working alone? Am I working on a team? Who are the people on the team? Those are the things that, and like, am I solving really interesting problems? And for me also, I would probably want to be aligned with the problem I'm solving. So I would probably gonna, I would probably want to work for a company that is trying to solve some sort of work problem. So that's me personally. But somebody who's 26 in their career might be like, where can I go where I can learn the most and get the most exposure to, you know, the C-suite or the leaders or the VPs or anything like that. And so I think it ebbs and flows in your career. But I do think it's very important that people get clarity on what are those top three things that you want to have in your, you know, how your values align with what that company offers. And I would, I agree with you. I would learn everything I could about that company. I would talk to former employees. I would talk to current employees. I would see if their C-suite executives have been on any podcasts or YouTube videos or PR interviews or anything like that. And I would just take in as much content as I can to learn about them as a workplace because it's true you'll never know truly what it's like to work somewhere until you're there, but you can do a whole lot of homework ahead of time that will really um, help you. And look, sometimes a company might be great, but that team isn't the right team or that boss isn't the right boss or something like that. Um, it doesn't mean that the whole company you have to throw it away. It just means maybe that isn't the right fit for you. And I think also being honest with yourself about that's very important. Otherwise, there are plenty of people that are like, I mean, I had the same thing happen to me. I took a job that I knew I wasn't going to like. I showed up and I didn't like it. And while I, you know, I totally understand needing a bridge job, a bridge to wherever you're going next. There's nothing wrong with that. But what is the game plan to get out of that so you can get into the next thing? Or if you go and work for that place, can you work there for two years? And then can you leverage that to go work in a different department or something like that? And you're just, you have that game plan going into it. So I don't think, again, I'm very much like, Be very solid on what your end goal is, but be flexible about how you get there. And I think that's okay. Yeah. And just be true to yourself and be honest with yourself. 
and know that there may be some, you know, there may be some building and strategy along the way in transition, but also try to find a culture that you find that is, you know, kind of commensurate to you. On that note, I want to ask you for younger women who are entering the workforce, I'm sure, you know, this is overwhelming whether you're a man or a woman, but I think especially, you know, we are talking about women. What should they be thinking about, uh, you know, when they're trying to achieve their goals? How should they look at it? What could they put into place to kind of jumpstart, you know, their career and make sure that they at least start off on a track that makes sense to their ultimate end game? So if I were starting my career over, one of the things I would have invested in early on is having a career coach who kind of helps and supports me along the way. Too many people think of career coaches as either the thing you get in college because your university gives it to you, which by the way, those are not real. Yeah, those are not real career coaches or you get it as an executive. And it's always like, I don't feel like I can afford a career coach or I'm too early in my career. I don't need someone. I feel like that's the time when you, it's like having a therapist. That's the time in your life where you are learning the most about you and you are navigating things and having someone to pose the important questions to you who has no interest in any of this other than what's best for you. So even if your company offers HR, talent development, learning development, no, your own personal career coach, I think is, is absolutely one of the most valuable things because when you are young in your career and you are trying to figure out how to not just work hard, but also work smart and be strategic about what is it that I want? How can I, or like also how do I navigate these tough things? Maybe I've never had, I've never been given negative feedback and I was just given really negative feedback by a boss. Like how do I move forward with that? Your parents are great. Your friends are great, but no one is going to look at it the same way as a really good career coach. So If I were starting over, I wish I would have invested in that over some other things. And I would highly recommend, I mean, obviously I'm I'm biased too because Career Contessa has a career coaching service. So you can go on there and find a career coach. But however you can find that support, I think is really, really important. And then the other thing I think when you're starting out in your career is being very relationship minded. So networking is truly how the world goes round. Um, 85% of jobs are found via networking. So prioritizing being relationship-minded, building your network. And and I'm not talking, when I say networking, I don't mean people necessarily above you. I mean, truly like peer networking, networking within your own company. Those are other things I would really prioritize as you are, because those are also going to help you in those tough moments as well. Yeah, I mean, the more people you meet, it's like throwing spaghetti at the wall, you know? Yeah. You never know when one of those things is going to open a door that you can't even begin to imagine even existed until you happen to network with that human being. So... I think that's really good advice. And I do think coaching is a good investment if you're a young person, because I know people think that's like more mid-career stuff, but actually I think we would benefit if from the beginning, we really talk to an unbiased person who has no, there's no interest in like where you go with this, except what's best for you. And that you can actually be more open and honest with and transparent with than you may be with a friend or your parent or even, you know, a career counselor at a university, but those guys are overwhelmed. And honestly, I think sometimes they're just there so the the university can say they have career counselors um, and not (laughs) make everybody mad who's paying the tuition. My final question is going to be the following. What is your view, the future of women in the workplaces and like what changes or trends do you see coming down the pike for women. I I talk about remote work a lot because in my business, in my particular business, we as a, not me, but as the kind of entity, encourage people not to work remotely. And I think this is is not correct. I think 
women in particular need to have the flexibility or parents, you know, I don't care if you're, you know, a dad who's raising your kids or mom, but if you want to have parents who are contributing, I think it's unrealistic to, to not appreciate remote work. And I think COVID helped us to kind of see, I mean, not everybody who's doing remote work is like sitting at home watching Netflix and getting their nails done. No. I mean, you know, they're absolutely working. I know I work harder from home than I do when I'm in the office. So what trends do you see? Is there going to be more remote work for women? What can women expect in the coming years? I think that the good companies are going to figure out that remote work is not just using Zoom and Slack or Microsoft Office. Like I think people, there are a lot of very smart future of work strategists, consultants, experts out there who will tell you that the companies who try to implement remote work and say it failed is because they're just taking the exact setup they had in the office before and trying to keep it, but like working from home. So for the future of work and what I hope that women can expect to see is much more companies humanizing themselves. And what I mean by that is, you know, building a company and a culture around flexibility, remote work, hybrid work. Um, and what does that look? And actually not just trying to say like, oh, we'll just take exactly what we were doing in office and slap it over here and then, you know, be shocked that it's not working and now demand you all to come back in the office. I think that you will start to see more companies recognize. And I, I just think too many employees are going to reject going back in the office and doing that kind of stuff. So I think that there's a good chance that this trend will continue, that we will see more companies that truly develop remote and hybrid workplaces, not just, like I said, using Zoom and, and Slack and that kind of stuff. Um, they will be truly remote and they will have a process in place to make sure that you are still getting the really good parts that come from working in office, collaboration, right. networking, skill building, that kind of thing. And so that's the good news is I think you're going to continue to see more women stay in the workplace, build their careers in the workplace like like we've never seen before. We used to see a huge cliff at a certain age because women would have children and they would have to leave the workplace. I don't think we're going to see a huge cliff anymore. I think over time, the data will start to show that people maybe change their career a little, downshift a little maybe, or they change this or that, but they don't totally just drop out of it. And that's going to be so good. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, look, when more women work, the economy does better, the world does better. And I think, you know, it's to like when we had COVID, the she session was a real thing. Yes. More women ended up becoming unemployed for various reasons. But a lot of it, too, was, you know, when it was time to transition back, they still had kids at home that weren't necessarily going back to school full time. And it was really a tricky needle to thread. So I would encourage employers to try to be more creative with remote work and to give people the grace to need that, especially if they have caregiving responsibilities, because they can still be real big contributors to the company. And so this kind of you know, really this notion, like if you're not at work five days a week, you know, you're just not doing yeah. your job. It's just so old fashioned. And I get really annoyed when I hear people like making these kind of derogatory comments about people who want to work remotely. I find, I just find them beyond and they just, I become outraged when I hear them. <laughs> anyway, so you have all these great resources. So before we wrap up, just tell everybody, website, LinkedIn, Instagram, the podcast, and then also you know, what it is they can get from you and how to get it. 
Yeah, absolutely. So the website has everything and it's careercontessa.com. That's where you can find our online coaching, our jobs, our anonymous salary database. You can watch free webinars. We've got downloadable resources. We have a blog that is full of articles on every topic you can think of. So that's really your one-stop shop. Um, Every Tuesday, I am live on our podcast, which is called the Career Contessa Podcast. So we've tried to make it really easy for you. Um, You can also pick up my book, Power Moves, How to Pivot, Reboot, and build a career purpose anywhere you buy books. Um, And then I'm on LinkedIn and I love to connect with people. I write um, something on there every single day and it's just my name, Lauren McGoodwin. Search for me and you can follow me there. Okay. Well, look, there's no excuse not to know what to do about your career and how to do it because now you have a resource that is awesome and incredibly complete. So I would say to everybody out there, you got to check out Lauren McGoodwin and the Career Contessa because it's got all the information you want to know about this, you know, kind of tricky area. And it's always also transitioning. So just staying up to date on trends and getting the best advice is probably the best thing you can do to building your net worth in addition to being good with your personal finance and retirement savings and all that other stuff. This is as important a tool for net worth building as any of the other stuff that we talk about in the finance world. Lauren, thank you so much for your time today. I think you've just given people so much to contemplate and think about and to hopefully inspire them to just get proactive with their career and not wait for the fairy godmother to come down and tap them on the forehead and say, okay, I've got a great opportunity for you that's going to solve all your problems. That doesn't work, guys. You got to go to the career contessa. That's where it's all happening. So thank you, Lauren, for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Until next time, guys. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening today to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast platform. And I would really appreciate if you could also rate and review it. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at The Fiscal Feminist or check out the website fiscalfeminist.com. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.